My name is Chris Lane. I'm the lead pastor here. It's lovely to be here. And um, as I said, I was away last weekend. And, uh, and uh, it's always good to come back. And actually, just on, as an aside, I was opening my news sheet and I saw that this, this, this little invite here for the last minute service. Do you know what? I, I'd love to just endorse that. The last minute service begins at one minute to 12 or thereabouts. But it's a great service. It lasts about an hour. It's essentially um, a, another take on what we teach at the 10 a.m. And it's very positive. And we have a little Q&A session at the end. We would love some of you to try that out because we want to make more room and there's more capacity in the 1159 service. So let me just commend that one. Think about that. Come along to that and, and help that one to really buzz and grow as well. Anyway, this week, a lot's been happening this week. Uh, we've been on the road quite a bit. Linda and a team went down to Putney and we're doing a teaching, a training down there. Rick was out teaching a lot of young people. Uh, I went and did a, a Catholic uh, renewal meeting on Monday night. Took a few people with me as well. That was good. And then on Wednesday, I went up to Middlesbrough to a, a, a board meeting. I'm on the board of Willow Creek in the UK. That's the, the, the organization we partner with for the GLS. And, and actually, that I have to tell you this. That was a bit of an interesting experience because I have found that if you book well in advance, and I go by train up to Macclesfield, if you book well in advance and get the right train, you can go first class for five pounds more. I tell you, it's amazing. And it's the Virgin Pendolino thing. And it's so swish, and they bring you sandwiches, and they're all courteous and polite. And it goes really fast, and it leans over. It's really a swish thing. So I, I kind of look forward to that journey. It doesn't take long, but I look forward to it. Well, anyway, it all went wrong this last Wednesday. <laughs> because I, I got, arrived at, at Euston already with my magazine, ready to chill out, you know, in sort of unadulterated luxury for about an hour or two. And it was... Platform 11, I thought, oh, well, that's interesting, just to change the platform. And I went onto Platform 11, this huge, great, big, long platform, and there's this little putt-putt thing, <laughs> sort of up by the buffers. And I thought, oh, okay. And I stood there for a while, and I think, this train's going to leave. Where, where is it? And suddenly the awful truth dawned on me that actually I had booked the wrong train. <laughs> And instead of going first class on the Virgin Pendolino, I was going on this little putt-putt thing up to Macclesfield. It took me five hours, folks. We stopped at every station, halt. If there was a squirrel crossing the line, we stopped. I tell you. But I got there. I got there, yeah, round of applause. But, you know, something occurred to me about that. We're doing a series called The F Word, and one of the reasons we, we called it that, and one of the reasons we're teaching it, and it actually leads on nicely from what Richard was saying, is that when people consider faith, a lot of people will, will just shut down. A taxi driver picked me up from Macclesfield. We started to, to talk. We're very, very chatty, you know, asking me all sorts of questions. And suddenly he said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a church pastor. <laughs> I thought, had he had a heart attack? Was I about to die? Is he still, were there signs of life there? 
people shut down because when they look at faith, when they look at Christianity, when they look at Jesus, they see a little putt-putt at the end of the station. They think, flipping heck, I'm not going on that. That'll never get me anywhere. There's no mileage in that. That's not going to help at all. But the reality is, it will get you there. It reminds me of another story. I've told this not for a while, but when I was a kid... The summer holidays were always a little bit of a difficult time for me because it just so happened that where we lived, there weren't too many kids. And so I was often a bit lonely during the summer holidays. You can all go, ah, now, one, two, three, ah, thank you. Anyway, on this particular summer, my father was, had some sort of you know, DIY construction project on the go and he ordered a load of timber. And there was far more timber delivered than he could use. And I remember I was sat up in, in the apple tree. We had this little treehouse thing. And I saw this timber and I thought, I could do something with that. So I spent a happy day sort of messing around with it. And then just, just as the, the day came to an end, it dawned on me, I could make a raft. A raft. And so I began to pull the timber around and sort of got on the raft, and it was great. And the next two or three days, I spent all every available minute working on this raft, all laid out on the lawn, and then I started lashing it. I was a bit of a boy scout, so I was practicing me knots and all this kind of stuff. And I really became you know, in, in, enamored of this raft that I was building. So much so that I went down to the bike shop, and I, I bought a little bulb horn. Do you remember those bulb horn things? I had a horn on there, spent my pocket money on it. You know, it was absolutely fabulous, you know. But it was only about two days into this that a a neighbor said, well, where where are you going to take that, Chris? And you know, it hadn't actually occurred to me that I might actually float on anything. It was just playing in the garden, you know. I was nine or ten year old or something like that, you know. But, you know, there was a river nearby, the River Crane. We lived in Twickenham. And I thought to myself, well, you know what? That's not a bad idea. So I went into my mother and I said, Mum, can I take the raft down to the River Crane and sort of have a little paddle about? And of course, initially, no, you're not doing that. No, you'll drown, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, I managed to persuade her. I managed to persuade her that I could take my raft down to the River Crane. So, you know, opened up the gates. It took me ages to get it through the back gates. Had to get my little go-kart thing, you know, the pram wheels on an orange box, that kind of thing, put it under the end, dragging it up the street. It made a heck of a racket as a dragging it up the street. Scared cats, squirrels, babies, passing trains, you know. They rerouted the aeroplanes, landing in Heathrow, all this kind of stuff. And finally I get it down to the river, my wonderful, wonderful raft. And I, there's this kind of sandy shingle thing, so I drag it down there. Great effort. By now I've got about seven or eight little helpers, you know, all sort of tagged along. Push it into the, in, into the river, and straight off I, I realize I've got a bit of a problem. Because it's really low in the water. It's not sitting on top of the water, it's like wallowing in the water. So anyway, I very gingerly stepped onto it and knew instantly that this was a bad idea. I clearly escaped with my life because I'm here today to tell the tale. But actually there was nothing else for it but to grab that raft, drag it out the river and drag it all the way home again. Because it wasn't going to float. Not with me on it anyway. So all that effort, all that energy, that scheming, that planning, that lashing, that buying of bits and pieces to bolt on it, you know, was a waste of time. Because it didn't actually do the job for which it was supposedly designed. Now when we think about faith today, when we think of the world of faith, 
And again, there is this great book on the, on the bookstall by Mark Mittlenberg called Choosing Your Faith. We may, tr- we may possibly get Mark come and do a little conference for us next year. I'm very impressed with this book. But, but if you're interested in this topic, you might like to buy that book from the, the bookstall, Choosing Your Faith. Uh, but as we look at the, the smorgasbord that is faith today, there are all sorts of things kind of cobbled together. And I say smorgasbord because that's the way people seem to assemble their faith, their, their spiritual belief these days. You know, they believe in, you know, a, a sort of, some sort of ethical code, you know, doing right by one another, you know, sharing a little kindness and courtesy. They believe in, uh, you know, supporting charities. They, they believe in, in a little bit of New Age stuff, a little bit of Eastern reincarnation. Uh, they believe in angels, uh, crystals, ghosts, all sorts of things. And it's all sort of tied and lashed together and assembled in some sort of a way that kind of fits. And it looks great on the lawn. The reality is, it's not going to get you anywhere. It is not... As you step onto the raft in the River Crane, that you want to discover that this whole construction was a waste of time. So I'm here to tell you that in the little putt-putt down the end of the platform that so many are still dismissing, amazingly, there is the very vehicle, the very person, as we'll say in just a moment, who will save your life. Will save your life. Now in this series thus far, I'm getting into the sort of meat of the teaching now. First week, I, I, I tried to communicate to you just how radical Jesus' teaching was. You know, the, the big construction, if you like, in, in, in the Jewish world, in Jesus' time, when he was 2,000 years ago walking on the face of this earth, the big construction, of course, was the, the, the Jewish law and Torah. And you had to tick the box, you had to do all these things, and if you ticked all the boxes, well, then you were righteous, you won, you, you arrived. But actually, Jesus came to say, you know, none of us tick all the boxes all the time, let's be honest. And what Jesus did was he came with this radical message, which was, look, it's not down to you. It's all about me. Trust in God. Trust in me for your salvation. And it's counterintuitive because we feel that if we really, really try hard enough and work hard enough and are good enough, we ought to go to heaven. But the reality is that if you break one law, you break it all. You know, when, when somebody who is, uh, you know, God forbid, a murderer stands before a, a court of law in the UK, he can't say, oh, yeah, but I always paid my taxes. Oh, no, no but, I, you know, I'm not a paedophile. Oh, oh, no, I didn't steal anything from, 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 from the, the shop. I, I didn't, you know, embezzle money from a pension fund. It doesn't matter. Break one law, you break it all. You're a lawbreaker. And in the court of the king, that's how you are presented, as a lawbreaker. And that puts you in, an un- in a very difficult position. But what Jesus does, he steps in at that point as our advocate in the court of the king and says, excuse me, I'm going to pay the price for this one. And he gives up his life for us. The theologians call it substitutionary atonement. You're guilty, 
but another pays the price. And as followers of Jesus, we don't try and pretend we're not guilty. We say we are guilty. But Jesus, the Son of God, pays the price for us. It's an extraordinary gospel. No wonder it caught on. And believe it or not, it is catching on. There are more Christians on God's earth today than there were 2,000 years ago, needless to say. And it's growing. Contrary to all these sort of, you know, the, the, the popular assumptions that the church is on its last legs, it's not. Okay? Some, wing, some wings of it have disappeared. Some, some models based on 18th century rural England are, are, are struggling. That's why we've got to be on our toes. We've got to be working out and agonizing just as we do in this church about what does it take to make Christ known in the 21st century? How can we commend his atoning sacrifice in the 21st century? So Jesus saves. And he saves because he's God. This is another little thing, a little PowerPoint thing. I said a couple of weeks ago that Christians trot out this expression, Jesus is Lord, but very often we miss actually the import of that because in the translation, the word God became Lord. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying Jesus is God. Christians believe that Jesus is God. Not was or will be one day, but is God. Present tense. Has, is, and always will be God. And that's why he can save. You know, if I'm drowning down at Brighton off the shingle there, I don't want some weedy seven stone sort of lifeguard to come and sort of paddle in to try and get me. I want a great big butch Californian with the surfboard to come and get me. I want somebody who's capable of saving me to save me. Needless to say, Jesus, who is God, is capable. And today's particular focus, last week, I listened to the talk, I loved it. Dennis did this great thing on on Jesus saves us for a purpose. And today I want to talk about Jesus heals. And we're going to look at a little portion of Matthew's gospel. And, uh, uh, you know, I I want to say about this that I'm only going to be able to look at about 12, 20, 20 odd verses today and tell you a couple of stories But I would encourage you to read around what I look at today because Matthew is actually laying a case. This passage, what's gotten before this passage, and you can turn to it now. We're going to, I'm going to read through it. It's um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 through to 31. But Matthew is building a case. And what he's actually saying to his Jewish readers, he's saying this, Jesus is God. And this this passage, it lasts over two whole chapters. It begins with Jesus calming a storm. That story was there deliberately because what Jesus is saying, what, what Matthew is saying is that Jesus is God over creation. He's Lord over creation. So the, the natural world bows the knee, if you like, to King Jesus. There is a, a, an account of, of healing and of deliverance, people who are demon-possessed. And these demons kneel before Jesus, and he casts them out. Then there's an encounter with a centurion, not a Jew, who it turns out has extraordinary faith. 
Jesus is Lord of the nations, not just the Jews. He's God of the nations, not just of the Jews. So the Roman centurion, as it were, bows before him. And so on and so forth. But let's look at this little passage now. And I think we're going to follow it on the screen. Thanks, John. Um, Beginning Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 31. And I'll draw out one or two things. God may heal you this morning. If you're in need of a healing touch, we had a couple of prophetic words. They didn't know the word I was going to be sharing, but my mustard seed of faith to draw on a talk that Rich did two or three weeks ago is willing to put that down in front of King Jesus, that Jesus heals today. In fact, you know, I'll tell you one quick story before I get into this. On Monday night, uh, we were at um, this Catholic prayer meeting. And there was a, a gentleman there who was admittedly getting on in years. He had two whacking great big hearing aids on. Lovely chap he was. And he came forward because I was actually teaching on this passage. And in the middle of the passage, suddenly he started to hear. You know, was it, was it, was it full on? You know, was, he, was he totally healed? No. But he's a devout Catholic. And he said to us with tears in his eyes, he said, I come every week and it's two hours of silence for me. And I came tonight not expecting anything different. And suddenly I could hear you. I could hear you preaching. So we prayed on him and he was teary and he was, you know, at the end of it, he, he said, it's not, he said, it's, it's not, I'm not, it's not that, I, that I can hear perfectly, but I can hear I can hear. And he was as much amazed as we were. Much amazed as anything. Still had his ear things on, but he could hear now. He could hear what we were saying. Jesus heals today because Jesus is no less God now than he was then. Let's get back to the text. Matthew 9, verse 18. While Jesus was teaching, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. And when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. And she got up and news of this spread through all that region. And as Jesus went went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. 
Now, this is, these are not just healing stories. Matthew is, as I said, laying a case here. There are a number of things that are going on here. One of the things that's going on here is that, that Jesus, in, in, in going with the ruler, is responding to that utter humiliation. That, you know, that, that, that dear man, and I guess who wouldn't do this, who just lost his daughter, his daughter just died, even though he was a respectable leader in the community, went and fell at the feet of this prophet come carpenter come teacher, groveled before him, begging him to come. And what he says, of course, what the ruler says to him, the, the elder says to him, he says, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. You know, it's not rocket science. This. Did he think that Jesus had a special hand? Where's the healing hand of Jesus? No. He believed Jesus. If Jesus would come and lay hands on him. Matthew is also contrasting the Jewish ruler elder with the centurion in the previous chapter who said, no, you needn't come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus commends the centurion and says, this is, this is the greatest faith I've found. He's not rebuking the, the ruler. He goes with the man. But Matthew is contrasting faith and faith in unexpected places. Faith amongst Gentile centurion oppressors. You'd have thought they'd have found faith in Israel. But no, faith was, is often found in unexpected people and places. So that's going on. The other thing that's going on here is actually it would have not been lost on the Jewish readers of Matthew. And Matthew's gospel, Matthew's memoirs were written for Jewish readers. And that was this, that it was, you were unclean if you A, touched a dead body, and B, if you had uh, internal bleeding. These were both, you know, these were both situations that, that Jews avoided. And, and some of it, of course, is down to good practical common sense, health and safety, if you like. But there was also a great social stigma attached to this. If you touched a dead body, you became ritually unclean. You became polluted. If a woman who had an issue of blood and had done for 12 years pushed through a crowd, she polluted everyone she touched and the master healer. But something extraordinary happens here. Instead of Jesus being polluted, it's as if, she, it's as if Jesus pollutes the woman. But not with something destructive and unpleasant, but with life. The transferal is not from the polluted thing to the, to, to the master, but the other way around. The, the grace upon Jesus, the power, the spirit in Jesus is greater that that, than that which is present in the world. And I mention that and I, take, I labor over that because some of us are not sick. But some of us believe, even our hearts of hearts... That we have in some way disqualified ourselves. We've polluted ourselves because of some activity or of some action in the past. And although we go through the motions, desperately hoping that God would accept us one day, deep in our innermost being we believe that actually we're an outsider. Because we have polluted ourselves or been polluted 
in a way that nothing can wash clean. You're wrong. You're so wrong. Because when Jesus, God, Master, King, Teacher, touches us, we are clean. We are clean. So Matthew's doing that as well in here. But then, of course, he's contrasting faith. The ruler has faith that that if Jesus was to go and lay hands on the little girl, even though she was dead, he would live. She would live. And in fact, although there's a little interlude in the middle, and we'll look at that in just a moment, what happens is that when Jesus eventually comes to the the ruler's house in verse 23, and it says, and they saw the flute players and the noisy crowd. That, of course, was the custom of the time. That was part of the, you know, the, in other words, the, you know, the, the funeral thing had already started. That's what that means. The noisy crowd, people wailing, professional wailers had been bussed in. They'd all be, you know, mourning and screaming and hammering their chest and, you know, throwing dust over their heads. And the, the flute players were playing these kind of random sort of things, just sort of trying, you know, adding to the whole thing. And so Jesus arrives there and the whole kind of death thing, the death rite, the passage rites all kicked in. So Jesus comes along and he says, go away. The girl's not dead, she's asleep. And it says, but they laughed at him. Contrast the, faith, the lack of faith there. The ruler says, come, lay your hands on my child and she will live. But the, you know, the, the accepted wisdom of the culture, the accepted wisdom of our culture is that that putt-putt won't get you anywhere. The F word. But Jesus says, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they laughed at him. But, you know, Jesus, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. He always has the last laugh. And so Jesus goes in and he takes her by the hand and he lifts her up. Now, the language here in the Greek is, is the language of resurrection. And the words that Jesus, the, the words that Matthew uses with regards to this healing is actually interesting because he's, he, he talks about saving. So where it says heals, he talks about saving, restoring. So this healing thing is not just about the physical. There's so much more to it. And of course we see that in this middle story. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She had said to herself, if I only touched his cloak, I will be healed. Did she believe that this was some special cloak? Or where's the cloak going to be next Thursday? Was it some kind of like some sort of relic? You know, Christians sometimes get a bit funny about relics of the saints. And, you know, they go and want to go and touch or kiss or something like that. Line up for hours and gaze at something. No, of course not. It wasn't the cloak that was special. It was the one who was wearing it. It was Jesus, just like the ruler. It wasn't the hand, or it's the hand, the holy hand of God. It wasn't the cloak, it was the person of Jesus. The woman had faith in Jesus to the degree that she thought, if I only just touch him, I will be healed. 
So there's the centurion in Matthew's gospel saying, you don't even have to come, just say the word. There's the woman who's saying, he doesn't have to do anything if I can just touch him. There's the ruler who's saying, come and lay hands on. There's all, all gamuts of faith there. It doesn't matter how you come. Just come with whatever faith you can muster. It can be a mustard seed, as Richard reminded us. Faith activates the blessing. Faith activates the blessing. And so on this occasion, of course, the woman presses through. There's a bit of a mob. She probably thinks she can get away with it because all the attention is on Jesus. We're going up to this house. He's going to lay hands on the ruler's daughter. What's going to happen there? Doesn't he know she's dead, etc.? And she takes this opportunity. She doesn't delay. She pushes through, hoping not to be noticed, just so that she can reach through the ground and touch his cloak and bang! In one of the other accounts of this story, Jesus, it says Jesus knew the power had gone out of him. What does that mean? It means he knew he'd encountered faith. Faith. It's the gold that Jesus is looking for in the hearts of men and women. And so he turns around and he says to the woman, he, see, he sees this poor quivering woman who realizes that after 12 years of problems, suddenly... Something is different. And he says to her, take heart, daughter. And that word daughter is no accident. She was the woman that lived on the edge of town. She was the woman that no one spoke to, nobody had any dealings with, whose family were ashamed of her. She was the woman that was scavenged around the, 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 you know, the dump to get scraps, somehow keeping herself alive because she had, she had spent every single penny she had trying to get well, but unfortunately was still sick. Society had excluded her out of sight, out of mind. She was the woman that mums would say to their kids, stay away from that woman, just keep going, keep going. And Jesus turns to her, fixes his eyes on her and says, daughter, that sounds inclusive to me. That sounds like family to me. Does it sound like family to you? There wasn't a rebuke. There wasn't a rebuff. There wasn't, there wasn't a discipline. There wasn't a harsh word. He said, daughter. And then he commends her. It's your faith. Bless you for your faith. Take your healing and enjoy it. Because you put your faith, not in, a, not in the wrong thing, but in the right, the right one. You put your faith in me. And finally, there's this story here. Where Jesus, as he leaves that place, having healed this, having raised this little girl from the dead. These blind, they used to often hang out together and help one another as best they could. And two blind men follow Jesus and they start shouting, have mercy on us. Son of David. Jesus slipped inside a house and they followed him in. Crowds were becoming a problem for Jesus in this day and age, at this part of his ministry. He was hugely popular. It was, it was becoming a bit of an issue. Hence he said, you know, don't tell anyone. But of course they, they were so full of joy when they received their healing. They blagged it. But, but Jesus slips inside and the, these blind men are, are ushered in. And what does he say to them? He says, do you believe? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Where's your faith? And they were able to say, yeah, we do believe you can do this, Jesus. 
There's all sorts of alternatives out there, all sorts of ideas about faith, religion, and all the rest of it, but these guys said, no, we believe in you, Jesus. We believe you can do this. And he says, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And he touched their eyes, and their sight was restored. You see, many, many, many organizations, individuals, World religions will demand your faith and your allegiance. I believe it's of critical importance that you explore this thing called faith in Jesus. No better than the Alpha. Because we need to put our faith in Jesus. Because in Jesus, the God King, the Savior, there is life. And so the question for me is, where's my faith? Where's my faith? You know, I've got one of these GPS things in my car. How many have got those, by the way? My mother-in-law's got one, and she was coming to our house, and she ended up in Hemel Hempstead. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not sure whether I trust them, to be honest, but my GPS is many GPSs. If you, if, you, if you go off the way, it'll quickly recalculate and give you a new route back to the, the point. And I have to say, hands up. You know, you don't, you're not seeing the finished article in me up here on this platform. There are days when I don't do so well. But I thank God. I thank God because his spirit has given me the wit and the wisdom to keep my eyes set on Jesus. And I have found that wherever I am, whatever I've been through, whatever I've done, actually when I come like that ruler and fall before him, there is a way back to Jesus. You may have been away for years. You may have just come this morning out of curiosity. There is a way from where you are at this moment in time, with all the struggles and all the challenges that are your face with, to come right back to Jesus. And he'll help you. So that's about it. Jesus saves because Jesus is God. Jesus heals. And that healing is, is so wholesome. Touches so many aspects of our life. And leads beyond that, of course, into the world that comes. But that's another sermon. But for now, let's stand. Let's have the worship team back up. I'm going to pray. Somebody once came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Maybe that's in the ascendance in you. Maybe you have, maybe it's doubts that you're wrestling with. Well, I want to say to you, if there is some faith there, ask Jesus to use it. Faith activates the blessing. And just before we finish on this song, now let's just bow our heads. We're going to pray. Holy Spirit, I want to say thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your word, which encourages us to come to Jesus, to believe, to put our trust and hope in him. And I just, if you are this morning aware of a a need for Jesus to draw close and heal or wash clean or whatever, just 
with everyone with their eyes closed, just raise your hand where you are now. If that's you. See, many of us are carrying things. And I just want to pray a blessing on you guys, especially as you come this morning to Jesus. I pray God's blessing upon you. Because Jesus will not disappoint. He, when, it, when it comes to our salvation, he will not disappoint. Well, every single one that reached out just a moment, lifted their hand, I just pray your blessing upon them that they might know your healing touch. Come Holy Spirit.